goodness we're back my hair is completely out of control you guys welcome back to unauthorized opinions it'll adjust itself as it goes on i promise uopod.com twitter youtube rumble we love you rumble and everybody listening on spotify growing every week and of course google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. maybe you got the iHeartRadio app maybe you're between 60 and 3,000 years old and you're listening on there we're happy to have you anyways super chats available through the unauthorized opinions and andrew says youtube channel we will get to those as soon as possible and we've got the man the myth the legend my favorite twitter account of all time gary sheffield jr how art thou gareth that's a pretty big compliment favorite account ever i think so um i think of you i think of bryson gray for the shock factor and triggering of it all Mm -hmm. um i I can't think of many more really i mean i go on my twitter feed who do i go to for certain opinions on things there's you for sports there's other people for everything else but it's just entertaining to me that when you predict something somebody gets so mad at you and half the time you're right, and then that's where I get the entertainment out of. That's We were talking about that recently, too. Yeah, they count your losses. That's just kind of yes. the way it goes. And I think the last time I talked to you about that in particular, I kind of told you that if people – like sometimes, especially if you're in the public space, you see you tend to see the same people. Like it'll be the same faces. <laughs> and then I think what you understand is especially people who use Twitter – is it's really not that many people against you. It's really just like 12 people that all run five accounts. So I, well, I just I, tell people to ignore it. Well, I was watching UFC last night, and I like to live tweet into the UFC atmosphere because I, I get all these tweets that I see that's like, well, that round was 10-9 for so-and-so. It's like, yeah, okay, give us something better than that. So I try to yeah. put something better than that out there. And one guy, I commented on how Mary, Mario Lopez came out with Trump last night, which I'll get to later. But somebody's like, you stupid piece of crap. You think that this matters about anything? And of course, it's, you know, John 3459874 with random avatar. And you look at his stuff and that's all he does. And it's like, you're really just screaming into the void where it's just like just getting all your anger out by yelling at somebody who you don't know. And, and I'm not uh, above yelling at strangers, don't get me wrong, but the people that are just on there to, uh, you don't like this person, but yet you're going to their account looking for what they're saying so that you can shit talk them constantly. It's just really weird, I think. Yeah, it's almost creating this illusion that the common person is the same as someone who's doing something. And it almost <laughs> creates this world where you almost want to do less because less people will pay attention to you when I I just, I can't personally understand it because if I'm doing something and a lot of people will say, well, you just always have such shitty takes or whatever they say. Right. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, well, a, this person probably doesn't follow me. Right. They only show up for your losses. And it's the same thing for you. If you, if you want to be liked on social media, I think everyone understands when they walk into every room what they can and can't say to be liked by said group. And I'm one of those people, and there's plenty others, 
out there that just don't care about the ramifications of saying what they actually think. And if you're honestly saying what you think on most topics in the world, you're going to be wrong often. And I've embraced that. I always put my hand up when I'm wrong. I don't like to apologize to people on the internet because I think it's a waste of time. But if you're not wrong about things, it's because you probably don't offer much. So I take it as a compliment that people think that I'm wrong on certain topics. And I'm sure you probably do as well, because a lot of times we're right. Well, I think it's so much easier to just admit when you're wrong than to avoid it. Because if, if you make a claim and you can either, you know, give the, the preamble of I could be wrong on this, or you could say that when you're wrong, like, I, I guess I was wrong on that. It's so, I just think it's so much easier than ignoring it and hoping somebody doesn't notice and then building up this track record of this guy's always wrong because if you admit that you're wrong nobody's actually really going to care that's the reality of the world that we live in people will move on within a 24-hour period and you just say yeah i was wrong about that one i probably was thinking this or that at the time and then you just move on and people will value that more i think than running away from the idea that you're never right or never wrong whichever one fits here i can go and make a prediction about anything and then just be wrong like last night i was watching ufc again and steven wonderboy thompson just worked his way out of a choke and i was like wonderboy is unchokable and then two seconds later he gets choked out and i'm yep. like damn that's uh that's what's happening here so it's not that difficult i don't think and uh some of the people that just come and and demand something of you they're not doing that much. I don't know how much I would be using Twitter as speaking on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. I don't use Facebook. I don't know how much I would doing that. I would be doing that if I wasn't putting something out there that I wanted people to see because I really in terms of like commenting or posting anything, I really just don't care that much about in injecting myself unless it's for a reason. But I feel like if I'm you know, if I'm trying, if I'm being true to myself and I should be trying, then I should be putting this stuff out there. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And and this is part of the reason why I like Bill Maher. And Bill mm -hmm. Maher and myself, we don't really agree on much. Like, to be quite honest with you, we do not agree, agree politically on how he feels about sports. Um, I believe we agree on the, the idea that men shouldn't be playing in female sports. I think <laughs> we're in agreement there. I think most common sense having Americans agree there. But... A lot of what you see in today's sports world and in politics as well is that we just pretend that the other side doesn't exist and we would like to dominate the, the public square. And that's what Twitter, because Twitter's changed a lot in the last couple of years. Obviously, it was owned by left wing people and they were really essentially shadow banning and limiting the growth of conservatives and right wingers. So having said that, they were using they were using that ability to shadow ban and, and essentially put all these rooms, rules and conditions and saying it's about rights. And what's really happening is they're making differing opinions disappear. And for me personally, I enjoy that banter. I enjoy offering an opinion. I enjoy seeing your opinion to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays. And then when I will vehemently disagree, completely disagree <laughs> with the opinion, that's what makes it fun is when people have the sophistication to be able to be present for a debate and we can come to terms with the fact that we're on opposite sides of the spectrum and it's okay. And that's where we're not at. Like now 
people want to believe that they have all these varying opinions about whatever topic and all the loons on the other side are just idiots that shouldn't be on the platform. They just want to agree with everyone all the time. I think people are coming to a strong realization that um, it's so much easier to just speak into the echo chamber and be rewarded for it. Mm -hmm. And it it used to be, well, I'm going to say used to be like a couple of years ago. That was pretty much predominantly true in left-wing spaces. But now you can pretty much see that there are right-wing spaces that are just like, say this about this person and it's pretty good. Even if it's obviously wrong, in my opinion, like something like how amazing Ukraine is, for example. But I think people are starting to look at that and say, hey, there's there's two sides here and both of them are willing to reward people who speak about things for their camp and for whatever they want to and sort of self-censor. And I'm happy to be in a place in my career where I work for a company and I'm independent at the same time where I could pretty much say whatever I want. Now, am I going to go down? Does that mean I'm going to go on and say literally anything? No, it does not. I'm not going to go full Kanye. Um, I'm not going to just, you know, drive myself into the wall, as I like to call it. But I, I, everything I want to say, I can say. And I'm happy for that. And I don't think I would be able to do that if you don't personally set yourself in a way where, where your personality allows for that. And what I mean by that is there's certain people who will never talk about certain subjects. And if they were to just go out and say, you know, so-and-so sucks or whatever. Somebody would be gasping and writing up an article about it. But if you set yourself up in a way, which I think I have and you have and many, many people have, where it's just like, okay, they have opinions about things. But if somebody comes out and never gives out any controversial opinions, I think they're they're opening themselves up for an attack. And maybe that's not what they want to do, and that's fine too. But I think when I look at some people I know in media... And they're just like, well, I can't talk about that. Or they they clearly don't want to share certain things or they don't want to be on camera talking about certain things. But they they would if they could. I kind of look at them and say, well, this is kind of your own doing. You've kind of put yourself into this corner. But enough about me, Gary. Enough about you. But not really. I wanted to say uh, you're married now, right? We can I am announce married. that officially. How is that working out for you? Phenomenal. We went and saw Godzilla last night. It was absolutely amazing. Highly recommend the the remake of basically like the japanese version right correct right and that was pretty sweet and you're still in arizona yeah still in arizona dad's trying to get us to move out to florida but we'll see (laughs) (laughs) oh i want to i'm glad to have you on i want to talk about uh some sports stuff we've also got san francisco's reparations are coming to a close some bar stool and some nfl i uh, had a video the other day about lebron got so i'm getting a steady stream of hate for that confusing to me but uh, i don't think we have any basketball today actually but what we do have is the other night in canada as i like to say um for some reason and i haven't watched this yet i wanted to save it for live reaction the winnipeg jets decided to do a national anthem in i guess the indian language of punjabi time in nhl history oh canada will be performed in english and punjabi joining simmer corsethi are Herman Kaur Gudaram, musicians, Dr. Kiran Paul Kaur Sorore, Gurjod Man, and the Amber what Trails is- Community School Choir. That sounded like a fart. I'm going to pause it right there. It sounded like there was a fart in there. I don't know what that was. It absolutely did. Was it? Was that not? 
<laughs> I think that was a fart. <laughs> wow. See, I don't know if you catch that right there, Gary, not being Canadian, but uh, a few years ago, they officially changed the word from all thy sons command, which was related to Christianity, to all of us command, which kind of doesn't make any sense in the context of the song, um, because it's like God's command for the country, but then you just change it to all of us command, which um, is just meaning like we're commanding greatness for ourselves. I guess that kind of makes sense, but that's something people might not know already. The world is ever changing now. <laughs> With Have you ever seen a less inspired group? <laughs> I just want to hear the reaction if there is one. I would say, first of all, I'll go ahead and say that they weren't very good. Um, just singing-wise. But the crowd sounded a little bit uh, non-enthusiastic of that. And my immediate reaction is, why? First of all, it's not one of the official languages. But then I think, in any other time, like 10 years ago, would anybody really care if it was sung in Korean or anything for a South Korean night or Punjabi night? No, but we are in the middle of just a mass, mass surge of migration. Nobody in the country agrees with it. It's always been a point of contention in the country, the increasing migration. And then they doubled it. So it's it was around a million people in one year during the lockdowns. And for a place in hockey, for them to just put this in here where, you know, there's a lot of Indian people in the crowd, but I didn't really see them caring too much at all. I mean, these are still hockey bros. If they grew up in Canada, they're just hockey bros like the rest of any other race. And they're kind of forcing this in here. And I want to relate it to a comedy show I actually saw the other night, which was Ryan Long, diverse audience. His opener was saying his opening joke for the opening act was, um, Toronto is one of the most diversity, diverse cities in the world. Isn't that awesome? And nobody applauded. And it, like, and nobody thought that was cool. Nobody thinks that's cool. Like on it's the not, surface, it's not a cool. cool thing. <laughs> no, it's, it's not cool. Who cares? Like, honestly, there's so much pandering going on at this point with all this stuff that it's almost like you don't even know what anyone actually thinks, what they actually believe. And we're to a point now where people are just, they'll talk about, this kind of relates to representation as well. You'll go to a movie and someone will say, well, the superhero looked like Gary. He, he was a, he was a light skin, a light skin Jewish kid. And, and I felt represented in this film. That's not cool. Who cares? If, yeah. Just be a normal person. You go to the movie, you see the movie, you go to the, you go to the film, you watch the film. It's got a plot. If the plot works great, if there's a great ending, awesome. You talk about that. Who in the world talks about the characters? Who in the world talks about who's walking in and out of the country? The country was already great. Okay? There's obviously 
some adjustments that can be made to make it better. I think we can all agree there. And that includes America. It includes Canada. It includes really any country. But that said, you don't need to pretend that strangers walking into your community is suddenly the greatest thing you've ever heard of. It's not. <laughs> you can watch that video right there that we just watched. There was not an inspired. Did you see any inspired people in that video? No, no, I did not. It actually seemed like the Indian people in the crowd were just like, why is this happening? That's my honest reaction to that. Yeah. And I, to be quite honest with you, I know people have opinions on people coming from out of the country and moving illegally or legally. They have their opinions and I won't try to butt into those opinions. But my thought process is that I'm not ever going to sit around and change a song so that we can celebrate people that moved into the country. Just play the song like we always did and embrace. If people are coming from out of the country, they can attend hockey games just as I'm attending and we can enjoy a nice game, of a nice match of hockey. That's essentially all it should be to it. And if you look there, it essentially looks like a high school graduation. <laughs> that's what that's what the atmosphere was giving. And it's obviously disappointing because even the people delivering this message are also uninspired. They're just excited to control us. Yeah, and to touch on your point of representation, I have said for many years now that it actually does not matter. And I go back to my own childhood, grade six, um, do a presentation where you're interviewed as a person you admire. Me and my very white friend both he chose Will Smith. I chose Vince Carter. Actually, it was the other way around. That's awesome. Never once, never once growing up did I say, you know what? Um, Damon Stoudemire of the Raptors, who was like my idol as like the shorter guy on the team at the time. I was like, if only he was white. If only there was more Matt Bonners playing for the Toronto Raptors, then I would be able to see myself growing up to be a basketball player. And it is shocking that I saw myself growing up to be a great basketball player. Um, <laughs> many will say this and many would be wrong, but this never came up in the inverse. I never thought, you know, um, Terrell Davis should have been a white running back when I became a Broncos fan and on and on and on. And it's, it's just really weird how focused people on focus people are about this. And I bring it back to something I talked about last week. I don't know if you saw in the news, um, the Disney princesses, uh, Ray Ziegler. I don't remember her first name, the girl playing the new snow white. And then the girl who played the little mermaid, they were interviewing each other and the little mermaid girl, the black girl says how great it is to she, when she worked on the set of the color purple because everyone was black and it was like a family reunion, she said. And I was like, not only is that really weird, but it also doesn't make any sense because what if there was people on the set that were like Nigerian? Is that the same as a person who grew up in Chicago or a person who grew up in Georgia? That'd be really weird for me to say, like, it was like a family reunion when I went to a thing with all these Australians. As long as so, they're not white, I guess. Yeah, the, it's it's really weird how easily people just have slid into this thing that never, you this idea and this attitude that never used to be a thing 10 years ago, where it's just like, we really care about our race right now. We really need a superhero of a certain race, and we need people in certain positions of a certain race. And like I was in O'Hare in Chicago a couple weeks ago, and they just had these commercials running 24-7 of how great it was that all the airport businesses, the McDonald's, the shoe shiners, it was just how great it was that it had diversity in it. And it was, and it was really demeaning to the people in the video who 
participated in it because it was like, my father is so proud of me that I work at McDonald's as a Mexican person. And it's like, what are you talking about? I don't understand. It's all over Where the is- cooking shows, by the way. It, it, I watch Gordon Ramsay's show all the time, all day me long. Too. And all they talk about, there'll be a female character come out. She's like a former chef. It's amazing. They're, they'll talk about female chefs inspiring the people behind them. I'm like, really? A, a, a woman in the kitchen inspired you to get in the kitchen? It doesn't even make any sense. So if you want to be great at something, you can be great at it. Just go do it. You don't need somebody before you. Maybe you need someone in your family, a parent. Let's. Just, how about your parents? Those are the people that are supposed to inspire you to fulfill your dreams. Once your parents tell you, you can do anything you set out to do. Now you go out and try. It doesn't mean you're going to get there, but it means you can. All you have to do is try. And so now we're at a point where people act like they can't go do something in the world today unless literally everyone in a space looks like them. Mm-hmm. It's absurd. Somebody's going to say it's easy for Gary to be inspired by his parents. <laughs> well, too bad. That, that's, that's the funny part. Yeah, people want me to apologize left and right for that's my right, dad being do. Gary Sheffield, but the last thing I'm going to do, I'm going to celebrate it. Why yeah. in the world would I hop on the air anywhere and apologize that my dad, who's from not a great area at all, in St. Petersburg, Florida. Okay. Okay. He went out and played baseball. He was pretty much great from Little League on. Went out and played 22 years in the big leagues, worked his ass off. And now suddenly his kids have to apologize to you because his kids have a <laughs> leg up, a, a slight leg up in life. Well, guess what? Life is not fair. There are people, there are millions and millions of people who have better lives than myself but you know what in terms of quality of life i'm married i have a great family life and no one can take that away from me so um yeah you just have a bunch of people waiting around for things to be easy and i'm gonna be honest even for myself things are not easy so yeah you know you know how this space can be especially in content creation it is not for the faint of heart does your dad realize that every single kid our age tried to emulate his batting stance at one point in time in while we were playing baseball? I think every kid I knew, I grew up playing baseball from six years old to 12th grade MVP, hold applause, everybody in yeah. the room, and uh, everybody at batting practice like, try doing it that way for a bit, and nobody can do it, and that's a testament to how good he was, I think. Yeah, I think every kid in America actually walked up to my dad and I and said it. I'm not yeah. joking. Oh, yeah. Like we would be out at the mall and, and you know, to be quite honest with you, didn't bother me in the slightest because I think everyone wants to create and know that when you pump something in and you work hard and you've spent so much time at your craft for people to resonate with what you do, because there are a lot of players in Major League Baseball today that are really great players that in 10 years, we won't be thinking about them. Mm-hmm. That's the crazy part. And still to this day, I mean, you're talking about what my dad did with his batting stance. My dad hasn't played yeah. since 09. It's been a long time. So that's just, it's always nice to hear. And obviously, as you know, last year, my dad on the ballot. So mm-hmm. hopefully he makes it into the Hall of Fame. He, some breaking news, if my dad does get into the Hall of Fame, he's having me do his speech. So it should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that would be exciting. Yeah, and yeah, I saw that last year. And let's just say I disagree with a lot of the... Uh ballot casting as i'm sure you're aware let's jump over we're talking about uh this sort of stuff i guess kind of jump over to san francisco now this has been talked about on the show a lot of times the san francisco reparations office 
And uh, it's funny. I know this picture because when you go on Getty Images, this is like the only picture you can find with somebody holding a sign that says reparations. So it's always used for anything related to the subject. But the budget deficit office, um, or sorry, the budget deficit of San Francisco has eliminated the reparations office. As you may or may not know, they went from we need seven million per person to a couple million per person back and forth, 700,000 per person couple million uh, yeah the, it was up and down and then they had proposals and then they had second proposals and then you sort of didn't really hear about it i think the last time you heard about it was maybe early in 2023 so let's read this a little bit the city's budget deficit exploded to 780 million earlier this year that's insane for one city by the way <laughs> amid san francisco struggle to recover from strict coronavirus closures and restrictions, an exit of work from home, exodus of work from home residents and taxpayers, coupled with a rise in crime, outdoor drug use, homelessness, and also it chased away retail businesses. Let's talk about that for a second. So San Francisco said, as many places in California did, close your businesses. If you even open it, we're going to come and close it. We're going to arrest you. The only thing they weren't allowed to close was churches, which was, you know, a stark contradiction to Canada or a contrast to Canada because we don't have an actual constitution. So even in California, you can challenge your religious rights in the constitution and be allowed to open your church, neither here nor there. But then they said, close all these businesses. Um, everybody work from home, you know, um, under 900 and whatever dollars, we, we won't send the police after you. We won't chase criminals down. Uh, Paul Pelosi can have his creepy guy in his house attack him. But, <laughs> Everybody, what's going on here? Now we're in debt. There's crap in the streets. All these businesses are leaving. The Targets, the Starbucks are closing. Everybody's leaving. We've got all this debt. Nobody wants to go back to downtown San Francisco, what we had there. Now everybody who is even coming down there is work from home. You've seen it in Danny Mullen videos. And now they're just like, well, what what are we doing? What's the first thing to go, Gary? It's the... Um, the office for reparations well clearly that's going to show that this wasn't a big priority for them in the beginning and it says despite these challenges as breitbart reported citing themselves san fran leaders were considering reparations for long-term black residents floating sums in the range of five million though these were not based on any precise mathematical calculations now mayor london breed has cut the program the san francisco examiner reported um though it is just one Okay, she's erasing $75 million in cuts, though it's just one of the several planned programs that will no longer be funded. The Office of Reparations is noteworthy because its establishment came after a widely followed years-long process that ended it ended in accepting a reparations plan. And we'll, we can read on a bit if we want. This is rich. Is, is this surprising? I mean, they made such a stink about this. The people of San Francisco... Um, Mayor London Breed, of course, she comes into office so super progressive. She's vowed to turn around like the crime and everything. None of that's actually happened. But like, are, are you surprised this was cut immediately? Do you think that this is going to go away? What's your take on this? No, I'm actually just waiting for a proposal from California that doesn't have to do with just giving away money. <laughs> because I have yet to hear just anything from California that doesn't have to do with reallocation of funds. And that's essentially mm -hmm. all you're hearing because, and for a lot of people, there are a lot of people who don't know, but right now there's also, which just went into effect called a mansion tax. And for any rich person that sells their house above a certain price, I think it's above $5 million. If I'm not mistaken, 
they're charging like an obscene amount of money. Now, obviously, for the how does that relate to the average Joe? Most average Joes just don't care of what happens to rich people and especially people from California. So they use that money, which is just reallocated stolen funds because taxation is theft, and they throw it to and give it away to a group that has no idea what they're going to do. And now here's the final point that's actually pretty funny here. It says it surpasses $10 million, okay? So they're talking about giving away millions of dollars. What's ironic about giving away money to any person, I think a lot of people recognize here that you still probably can barely buy a house in San Francisco with that type of money. And those people would take that money, and you know what they'd do? They'd move out of the state. For Sayonara. Sure. <laughs> you, you think... You think somebody who's poor living in San Francisco, okay? Now, I've had no money before. If I had no money and I was living in California and the the local government gave me $5 million, you think I'm staying in San Francisco, California? Of all the beautiful places I could be in America, never in a million years. I'd send it over to Texas. I'd send it over to Arizona. And last but not least, I'd probably send it over to Florida. Nobody would stay in San Francisco. Are you going to give away $5 million and now that person's going to spend three of it on a two-bedroom, two-bath in San Fran? It doesn't make sense. So obviously, my solution will always be giving away money is always a waste of money no matter who it's given to. And if they're going to come up with real solutions, I mean, they can if they want to come up with a, an easy solution that actually makes sense, that requires people to do actual work then you can come to us you can come to the american people and suggest these type of topics but until then you're just giving away people's hard-earned money yeah the the part where you talked about how expensive it is in san francisco i mean i live in an area where houses are 1.2 million dollars triple what they're actually worth in my opinion because that's what they were like three years ago mm -hmm. and if you're getting taxed like this in san francisco your house is worth you know, $5 million and you're just facing another 5% increase or 4% increase and then 10% increase, uh, five, sorry, 5.5% if it's over 10 million, then you're just going to leave. And that's the thing. You can sell your house right now in one of these areas where it's stupidly expensive and then take the money and move somewhere else, especially in the United States, which where I wish I lived at the time, uh, at this time, where you could take, let's say, you sell this home for $10 million, and then you can move to an area that's, you know, 200,000 people probably, just as nice, if not nicer, because of the lack of crime and homeless people and feces on the street, buy a house for a third of the price and pocket the rest of the money. Because I don't know if somebody's going to go and BlackRock's going to go buy it, but it, maybe nobody will buy it in San Francisco, but they certainly buy it here. Yeah. People can't buy houses fast enough from here. Then you'll just leave the state. And this idea that they're still going with, which is amazing, that they're still going with tax the rich, even though like everything's super expensive now. So they're not actually that rich. If you have a $5 million home, you probably, you know, either you, you walked into it. Like this is the crazy thing about it is if your property sale exceeds $5 million, if you're just going to move down the street or, you know, somewhere similar in the state, you're not going to you're not going to have this huge profit. It doesn't make any sense when the the inflation jumps 7% in a year and your house is theoretically 5 million dollars when it's actually probably like 2 million dollars worth 2 million. You're not getting anywhere because if as soon as you sell that now, 
you're, you're not going to be able to move anywhere but outside the state. So it's actually going to hurt the state. It's actually going to hurt the people around there to just try to milk money out of these people who have already sit, shown that they're going to stay. If they've stayed till this point, they're probably going to stay. And what what are you going to do? You're going to collect five and a half more percent from them and say, well, the rich people, they should be paying more. And then what happens when all these rich people lose uh, leave? Then you're not going to have anybody paying any income tax. Well, Sorry you know what's funny, let- though? They're not yeah. actually leaving. Here's what the rich people are doing. The rich people, yeah, some of them are leaving. But what's actually happening is rich people are selling their homes for $15 million. And here's the funny part. The problem with our, and it's not really that funny, but it's the problem with our housing market is the supply. We have no supply. Mm -hmm. There are no houses being, there's no houses for sale right now because everyone's afraid that, because I know some people think that, okay, the interest rate should come back down to earth. But what if they don't anytime soon? So the way people look at it, is if I sell my home because of this tax, right? I'm scared to sell my home. I end up selling it. Well, what's that rich person going to do? They didn't get rich for no reason. They're just going to rent. They end up just renting. They And they're just going to wait around for the housing market to make any sense at all because they're afraid to get in at a terrible interest rate. A lot of these rich people are in at really good interest rates. And they've been holding onto these homes for 10, 15 years. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. And Maybe maybe it isn't fair for people that are my age. I'm 30 now. So by the time you're 30, you're hoping that you can get into the housing market. Well, if you're going to get into the housing market at a 7.5% interest rate, you're buying a home for, like your mortgage is going to be near $3,000 for a house mm-hmm. you really don't even want. So we're at a tough spot in here in America and I'm sure many other places in the world. But you know, California per usual, their only solution really is to just talk about the problem. And as long as their voters know that you're talking about the issue, they feel motivated to show up to the voting booth. And that's what California continues to do. People continuously tell me, yes, California is going to eventually, slowly but surely, turn red. And I promise you guys, if you go to California, these people are brainwashed. <laughs> they have no idea what's being done to them. They never will have any idea what's being done to them because as many people as you see moving out of California, there's that many idiots out there. There really is. So all you can do is pray for them at this point and I guess move out. There's nothing else you can do. It's wild how much you just said complete about the housing market completely applies here. There's not enough houses. They're bringing it. They're focusing all the immigration into one area um, around Toronto where I am. And they're saying, hey, look, we're building a lot of houses, but they never mention immigration. And what they're building are townhouses. So they want people to live in this neighborhood where a bunch of townhouses are packed into this confined little block. And they say, isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing that you can pay three grand a month or something like that for a two bedroom townhouse? Be thankful for that. We're making so many houses for you. And it's like, no, the people who got in before are lucky, maybe smart. And they're pretty much trapped because, like you said, the the mortgages, even if you pay a hundred thousand dollars down, they're gonna they're somewhere around. And I've checked between three and four thousand dollars a month, even for a condo. Yeah, even for a condo forty minutes east of Toronto. So every single thing, and and it sounds like it's probably the same in California. Every single piece of real estate within three hours of Toronto is out of this world. And what can you do? You can move to a tiny place in the East Coast and change your life, or you can move out west into the middle of nowhere. Um, because every city 
is run by a liberal person in Canada. So you don't really have a choice because these policies follow you everywhere, which is the advantage to the United States because you've got other places where things are a bit more normal. I just came back from Texas a couple weeks ago. The ability to have a quality of life that is more... Um, more similar to what you would have had 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, is much easier to acquire. And that's not a racial thing. That's not a, a skin color thing or a nationality thing. It's just the fact that other places in the world, believe it or not, have been better planned out than in these liberal large cities. It's always nice. It's always nice to have a choice. And and that's mm-hmm. and the crazy part is, is in a lot of those places, just because you have a mass exodus, the prices have gone up. A lot of those places in California, because it's not that Californians are broke. No, it's just that they have a lot more people. So, yeah, like there are going to be a lot of people with money leaving California and going to Texas. Well, that means that they have all cash offers. So that small portion of houses that are on the sale for sale, those houses are being bought up by either banks or people in cash from California. So the, and those people bring their mindsets right with them as well. It's the reason why you see Texas getting closer and closer to the line in the middle. And it's difficult. And I'm not here to say that people need to be conservative, need to be right wing, anything like that. They could be liberal all they want. But I feel that there's just no denying that one system is working a lot better than the other. We just need to find a better way to be in the middle, somewhere in the middle, because we can't all agree on all the same topics all the time with people who are like minded to us. We just can't. At some point or another, we have to say, okay, this maybe small minority of their ideas are working. We can implement that, but we need to stand packed of what we're doing that's working. And a lot of what's happening here in America, and I know you've compared it to Canada and how it potentially is better here, that's changing and it's shifting. And it's unfortunate because the the price to live here, I'm in Arizona. Arizona used to be this wildly affordable, off-brand California, very underrated. Now it's expensive. I'm paying over $2,000 for rent. It's a nice apartment complex, but it's an apartment. I shouldn't be paying close to $3,000 after utilities. It's a lot of money. Apartments used to be places where people can go, be responsible, cut back their budget, and prepare themselves, prepare their mentality to getting into a house. The American dream was that, and that's now dying. So now you almost have to go above and beyond financially to get yourself into a house. And anytime that's happening, we're failing. 100% and it is the same and it saddens me to hear that's how expensive it is there you know when I I first started renting a house with friends a few years ago it was um, more than less than half of what it is now so oh my gosh same situation it's since 2017 rent has more than doubled and uh, like you mentioned I used to live in an apartment by myself and I was like, okay, this is how this is the step, right? You you start here and you save money. Now a ba- a basement apartment in somebody else's house here is like twelve hundred dollars a month, so probably like eight hundred a, uh, a U.S. a month. It's absolutely insane. So it seems to be affecting everywhere. Let's uh, go on to what I think is an interesting story about censorship right now of what Barstool recently did. I don't know if you watched any of a uh, Barstool Survivor. It was absolutely hilarious. I didn't did you catch any of that. No. I I was willing to pay the $10 for it because Portnoy put out this video where YouTube sends them 
the uh, a warning. They're lucky enough to get the warnings because they have so many followers. But YouTube says you got to cut out this part and you got to cut out a bunch of this swearing because this person's threatening somebody. And what it was, it was actually Kirk Minahan, who's a, a, co- a sports commentator. Let me get the direct quote because it's hilarious. Actually, I'm not sure if I actually even put it in there. But he said that, you know, he's going to blow up the host's house <laughs> because of the rules of the game. He's like, oh, there's no rules? Okay, what happens if I blow up your house? And YouTube said that that was, you know, um, inciting violence and bullying and threatening and harassing somebody. And all the other swearing happened on the show. So they said, you have to delete this stuff and upload a new version of it or else it's going to be demonetized or at best we're going to have to uh, age restrict it, restrict it for the swearing. So they pulled it from YouTube. They put it on Barstool TV, 10 bucks a pop, and it was a good show. I've never watched anything that like a reality show that much, I don't think. And because uh, it's just them sleeping in the office and they made over a million dollars from it. And they had even though somebody spoiled the last episode on the network and it's just a, a great sign that people are willing to pull away from YouTube and wherever because of the censorship we're seeing. Now, of course they got offers from rumble and everybody else shout out rumble. We're live on there right now. Um, but to be able to put it back to your old platform and have people go and pay for it, I think that's what everybody really needs to do. Now it, YouTube and them are going to be around forever, but do you see a future where people are going to start going back to websites, you know, their daily thing, going to different people's websites for doing something? Or do you think it's too far gone? Do you think like a younger generation says, wherever I can get something free is where we're going to go? To be honest with you, I think where we're headed is actually what Tucker Carlson just did. Now, a lot of Mm. people offered Tucker plenty of money and he was censored all over. I mean, when Fox News is essentially censoring you, you've got a a problem, especially Mm -hmm. as a considered to be a conservative. Now, what i foresee is that and what tucker did was that he started his own thing now youtube essentially because a lot of people didn't really understand where is this advertising money coming from and everyone kind of understood pretty quickly youtube is a free platform they they live on that it's free all you have to do you can show up to our website you can post whatever you want obviously under our guidelines and it's guidelines that we don't read because it's a waste (laughs) of time and then once you get a certain amount of views, you don't have to do any work. We'll be the middleman, and then we'll pay you to be to be perfectly honest. YouTube pays a a very nice rate. They pay a lot of money, and especially for people who do really well, get a lot of views on YouTube. So that's a good thing. However, what happens when you don't use your platform the way that YouTube sees fit? Well, now YouTube can just pretend to take every statement you make literally, especially when you make a lot of content, and they can deplatform you. So what I think will eventually happen is that a lot of these people, especially these major talking heads, they're going to start taking out the middleman for advertising and do it themselves. Now, Rumble is a website that's been awesome. Obviously, they've taken off, and that's a great thing. It's always nice to have these alternatives because we, frankly, haven't had them in a long time. But also what's going to happen is that people are just going to say, let me create my own website and then Go after advertisers myself. Why do I need YouTube? Yes, they make it easier, but at the same time, once you become a big enough name, they're only making your job more difficult. So I think that's where we're headed is third party and where people are doing their own advertising selling. So that's what I've always done. 
I've always just created my own thing and then sell advertisement elsewhere. I've done it with numerous gambling companies and it's worked for me. And what it's ultimately allowed me to do is be your favorite Twitter follow and just say whatever the hell I want. So anytime you're on a platform like YouTube and you know, I can't say certain things. I can't talk about like Alex Jones. I can't talk about these different people. Well, now I know like if I want to do that, I need to start my own thing. So that's where I think it's headed. Yeah. And I think the, the most difficult part about that is the conversion rate to your website. And as people grow, they, they find an easier job about it just from sheer numbers, because if you got a million on YouTube, um, you know, you can probably get, you know, 5% a good amount of people to convert to a paying customer. And if you can get that for 50 bucks a year, let's say, then you're making thousands upon thousands that you wouldn't have before, plus your YouTube income, plus merch and advertising and everything. And I think that's what people will continue to do. Um, YouTube's a good place to start. And I myself have experimented um, with the challenges of being perpetually shadow banned. You know, my Twitter followers go down every month. My YouTube followers have been going down every month. Um, just by default, they take... T- to take followers away from shadow bands. And of course it's impossible to grow on Instagram. Once you hit to a certain point, if you're not playing the rules and I've experimented secretly with non-controversial accounts, just to see how it, uh, it, how easy it is to grow. And let me tell you, it's it's a lot easier to grow if you're putting in the work and you're doing what they say. So I oh, think yeah. a lot of people have been smart about it. I look at YouTubers. There's this young kid named loaf. He's blown up substantially L O F E. And he did this by not being controversial in the start. Nelk did this by not being controversial politically in the start. And then once they get to a bigger place, then they start putting their opinions in there. YouTube demonetize you. Kind of doesn't matter. And you kind of already have the connection with them where you can be like, hey, what the hell are you doing here? Work with I me I wish I bit. did that. I'm going to be honest me with too. you. Me too. I yeah. wish I did that. And I, I, God, I wish I had the foresight to have known and, and to be quite honest with you, my dad always said this to me and, and if my mom is as well. Is they always said, if you go this route and we see the route you're going, which is to essentially put your middle finger up and say whatever you want. And you walk in and out of every room. You're nice and gracious to every person you'll ever talk to. But you're not going to hold back your opinions. If you're genuinely doing that, you are going to piss off these major market outlets. You are going to. And I had a choice and you just as you have a choice right now is that from the beginning, we could have just not been that way. And then, as you said, you can just switch up on them at any point. Just say whatever you want. And with, you know, within reason, just say what you want to say. And now you can get those opinions off because if Nelk, if Nelk all of a sudden gets deplatformed, who the hell cares? Nelk has all these different brands that are going to be reaching out to him. You're going to be fine. But when you're trying to get that start off, you need the companies to be in good conscience. They need to show your profile the way it's supposed to be shown. And I've been stuck on Twitter with 70,000 followers for about four years now. You'd think somebody with 70,000 followers would be able to grow the same way they were four or five years ago, but it just hasn't happened. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I I think we both can agree that if we had started maybe uh, more cookie cutter and doing things the right way, that we could always just go back to how we wanted to be in the first place. Now, has anybody ever told you or have you been told directly from any of the sports networks, you know, like we'd love to have you on, but you're a little too controversial. Have you oh heard any whispers about that? I wish you, I wish you knew. I wish you, I actually, I can just, I can just tell you now 
that I, so here's the funny part. So I was told by uh, obviously a little birdie over at MLB network. It, it was funny because they didn't know I was doing any work for this company called MLB bro, where we cover black athletes, right? And we cover black baseball players. Now it's, here's the funny part. MLB network knows me and, and, and I'm quoting as a nice guy, but can be controversial. And obviously we try to steer clear of that here at the network, but seems like a good guy. Okay. That's what they were saying behind my back, which obviously was told to me. Now here's the funny part. MLB bro partnered with MLB network. Okay. So they didn't know that I was being sent as a representative of this company. So I showed up to MLB Network's studio <laughs> and there you, you would have thought they saw a ghost half <laughs> more than half the staff were fantastic. The producers, the, the people on air, but you should have seen them telling me, because you know how that works. You go on the air and you see some people, they, they give you some chit chat. They say, yeah, we love what you do. Love your work. Cause they see my work. And the guys were like, yeah, we see you all the time. You say some funny stuff. And then a couple other people will just be completely silent. They're like, yeah, I see you on there. And it was funny because a couple of the people, especially the people on air, were like, yeah, they're a little worried. Like they thought I was going to show up <laughs> in like Kanye West on the air. And I'm like, people, if you actually spent any time talking to people that just aren't playing the game, you'd realize we're all more similar than what you'd like to believe. We are. Like I can show up on the air and be professional. I can wear a suit. I can say what needs to be said. I don't need to be talking about politics all the time. I can do these things. And what they'd rather do is hire people that they know will never do it. And, you know, to your mm. point earlier, we kind of wish that we played it safe in the beginning and then you kind of go backwards from there. But obviously in the order in which I did it, they have to find out really the long and drawn out way that I can do this job the same way anyone else can. Yeah, I think it's a real travesty that they would act this way when there are so few people who... You know, I think you see it too. Who do you see creating the most content? People of our age group. Now, of course, there's exceptions. There's young kids. But in in the field of, of you know, giving their opinion, you know, keeping it real, to quote Dave Chappelle, or just really, you know, trying to put their feet on the ground, not hiding behind, like... <laughs> I want to say work from home, but it's not the same thing. People are willing to go out in the world and actually uh, conduct real business and do real content. It is our age group. It is the 28 to 45 year olds who are doing this. It's not the young kids. They're consuming. They're consuming. God bless them. They're getting more, you know, uh, uncensored and rejecting stupid ideas. But the people who are creating this content are fewer and far, fewer and fewer between now. And, um, you know, people are having to face the tough realities that they have to go to other networks to even be able to say anything reasonable. I turn on, uh, you know, uh, Shannon Sharp and Ocho Cinco. You're not going to be able to say that on FS1 or ESPN. Oh, that's Sorry. hilarious, by the way. That <laughs> yeah. show is so funny. That nightcap stuff is so good. <laughs> Shannon Sharp talking about sex is so weird to think about and so weird to see i just watched a clip i was going to bring it up but i decided not to shannon sharp talking about walking in on a guy eating ass <laughs> so oh my like, god why is this why is this the show i don't know but i'll watch it um but what i won't watch is uh when shannon sharp was on 
Undisputed and them just crying about the race of people. I won't watch that. I'm sorry. Yeah. So um, I'm glad to see the Warren Saps and the Brett Favre are going willing to go on alternate networks and say what they want because it's a shame that MLB TV won't give you a show. It's a shame that other people that I know in the industry um, won't be given the opportunity to appear on air. It's a sh- it, it's just a real shame that people are being robbed of this content. And because ESPN is owned by Disney, even though they'll take a cha- they'll take the wildest chance in the other direction, all black cast. Um, you know, black characters only, but in the other direction, we can't risk somebody saying, you know, gay or I wasn't vaccinated or anything, even though that would never come up in the conversation. We can't even risk Gary Sheffield saying that he, uh, he hasn't tied his shoes in 10 years as a, as a euphemism for something bad you might say. Um, and it's just the people are suffering and then they end up, uh, going somewhere else. I look at what the, uh, the the Toronto Maple Leafs in Canada, who I've excommunicated myself from due to their trans transgressions, they reach out to the cheesiest YouTubers who's like, hey, guess what? Uh, uh, guess who's the... Uh, I don't even know what they say, Gary, because they're so cheesy. It's just yeah. it's, it's like, well, welcome back, you guys. Can you believe it? We're here yeah. at uh, uh, ripplingnet.com and the Toronto Blue Jays, what's a, what's a pair of shoes you can't live without? What's a, some sort of seasoning that you always carry around with you? And this is all they have. And, and they when, don't even care what you look like. That's the crazy <laughs> part. You could be black, white, yellow. It doesn't matter what color skin you are. What actually matters is how you use your mouth, what you say. If you're willing to play the part that they need you to play, you can make it in this field. And in, and this is not just podcasting. Ladies and gentlemen, podcasting is not the most important job in the world. There's plenty <laughs> other jobs to do. Okay. I promise you, you will make it further in life, unfortunately, by just saying and doing what other people tell you to do. And a lot of people, and spe- I would probably say the overwhelming majority of people who are successful in this field or any field like this, you, for the most part, you need the producers to like you. It has to happen. Now, like you said earlier, if you do things the right way and you say all the right things, you don't say anything controversial, you make it a, can this guy do this job in terms of talent? Make it that type of conversation. Eventually, if you make enough content, you'll get through the door. But the problem is, is the timing. And a lot of the people, I would say the overwhelming majority of people who are successful at what we do, they don't disclose anything. They don't tell anyone what they think, and they actually completely avoid arguments altogether. There is no, there's no banter. It is, there's really no opinions as well. They actually just wait around, see what the overwhelming majority thinks. And this is why I love Joe Rogan so much, is that, and I know a lot of people have different opinions on Rogan, but Joe Rogan, he doesn't offer green. What, what do they what do they call those opinions where they're just evergreen? They're evergreen just, or fence sitting or something like that. Th- essentially, if a lot of times what I see, especially in Twitter, is that people will fence it, as you just stated. They'll post a video, say, watch this awesome clip, and then say, and then leave a tag to their podcast. And I'm like, this guy didn't even offer an opinion and this is viral for what? Why is this viral? And what it leads you to believe is that you didn't use your mouth to say a statement that's edgy. You didn't try to be funny. You didn't do any of those things. You just said 
what you thought needed to be said to benefit yourself. And that's what we get a lot of. So all those people like, and I know a lot of us disagree with them, but Bill Maher, Joe Rogan, a lot of those names, the reason they're as successful as they are is they found a way to be successful without navigating the fence line. Dave Chappelle, same way. So if I don't make it in this field, like where I really want to go and start my own studio, start my own show, all that stuff. If I don't make it there, I would rather fail and do it my way than any of that other nonsense because you're just selling your soul, man. You are selling your soul. Yeah, maybe you said the same thing to yourself that I said. I, w- I want to say 2020, probably with the probably the couple of days after I got over being bummed out about being demonetized on YouTube, which was, I have to just keep going and doing it my way. I'm not going to turn back ne- now and start playing the game. And you know, for better or for worse, it always seems to work out as it should, as long as you start or as long as you keep doing what you believe to be true to yourself. That and more motivational speeches coming up on Andrew says. <laughs> but um, lastly, before we go here, um, patreon.com slash uopod, bonus podcast every week. Uh, last week we had Gabe Victal, who is a, I don't know, am I allowed to say who he's? He works for somebody, a big YouTuber, but he's also got the KGB show. That's initials. They're not communists. Um, so bonus podcast every week. I was on Anomalies podcast the other day. I'll put some of that on there and also we've got some great content coming at the end of this week as i look at my watch which is super behind the scenes with a creator that you guys love when i was down in texas and stuff we literally cannot put on youtube so patreon.com slash uopod follow the links wherever they may lead you you'll get there it's growing every week before we go gary um i want to get your take on who who in this ever-growing secret society of people that show up to the ufc is the most surprising to you because last night we saw we added Mario Lopez to the roster. So there's Mario Lopez, there's Joe Burrow in there, there's Kid Rock, Tucker Carlson was with them. There's the Nelk boys, there's uh Jared Leto, there's Mark Wahlberg. Who do you is, is there someone else we don't know? I think that's Brandon Tatum there actually as well. I don't know. He got in there. It's so um, interesting who we have famous here in America. <laughs> it's what do you uh, mean? It's always just so funny. Like we'll have people sitting in front of a camera like Kai Sanat at events like this. And it's just, it's so funny, but I, I would probably, God, I got to say, I mean, Mark Wahlberg's my favorite of all those guys that you just mm. listed big Mark Wahlberg fan. So, um, but yeah, I, I do think though that Tucker Carlson is eyeing Washington. I just have a feeling. I just do. I think, <laughs> I think Tucker Carlson is, is sneaking his way into that VP Hopefully. spot. I hope so. It's got to be him or the big V, Vivek, I would think. Yeah. Um, I would have said ca- I would have said Carrie Lake <laughs> if she wasn't running for Senate. But yeah. a lot of people, as I mentioned earlier, love uh, tweeting my hilarious uh, quips during UFC. A lot of people were upset to see Mario Lopez coming out with coming out with them. Oh my God, not Mario Lopez too. I could deal with all these other guys, but not Mario Lopez. And it's like, when you continuously see people who you love and respect and are entertained by, it doesn't always have to be this way. It doesn't always have to be in that order. But if you continuously see people that you like and think are smart, and they start showing up with people that disagree with you politically. I'm not saying you have to like Trump. He's got a lot of faults. I'm not saying you have to like Joe Burrow. He's got a lot of faults, like not winning the Super Bowl. Take that, Joe. 
Um, maybe it's time to start thinking that they're they're on to something. Marky Mark and Jared Leto. Now, Jared Leto might just be a fan who's there every every time, but he's sitting with them. He's conversing. Maybe there's something to that. Mark Wahlberg moved to Arizona, I believe, because he wanted to get his kids out of the Hollywood school system. Um, that makes sense. Is, of course it does. And then you've got all these people. Dana White, he's friends with everybody and anybody who's willing to do business, right? Even Bud Light. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe you should start to think, why are the all these smart, successful people gravitating towards each other? Theo Vaughn mentioned last week that apart from the fights, what he likes going there for is the boys, you know? And that sounds weird. Yeah. <laughs> Hang out with the boys, you know? That's the camaraderie is what he misses. Um, I like to call it the, the new secret society, the not-so-secret society, and it's ever-growing, so... Maybe I do love how something. people pretend people pretend that they don't want to hear what these celebrities say. Like, for example, the perfect example is LeBron James. The reason LeBron James isn't as popular as Michael Jordan today is because he's dabbled into politics, something that you can easily argue he shouldn't have done. But what's funny about it, Michael Jordan did none of that. He did none of it. They asked him to dabble into the local mayor's race. And he said, no, mm -hmm. Republicans and Democrats, they, they buy shoes too, which is essentially him saying to screw off. And I'm going to stay on the fence and let everybody enjoy me. But what's funny about this is everyone has always said, especially for those celebrities who disagree with them, we'll use Eminem as a perfect example. A lot of people say, well, Eminem sucks. He's over the hill. A lot of those people who say that are people who don't agree with his politics. Now, I don't agree with his politics, but I'm not going to say that I don't care what Eminem has to say, but suddenly I care what Kid Rock has to say. No, in actuality, I don't care what either of them have to say. I care what I have to say and what people like me have to say because those people have to deal in America the way that I do. They have to save up in an apartment complex to not be able to afford a house. Those are the people that I want to consult when it comes to these celebrities. But when it comes to like looking in and seeing like what's Mark Wahlberg doing or like who's he hanging out with, unless they're going to like run for office or do something like cool in that regard. I don't know. I just, I, I think I just try to enjoy people for what they actually do and not what they think. I try. I think that the reason why people are gravitated towards something like this, because yes, there's tribalism to it where there's somebody else on my team, but I think it's the normalization of the fact that you can say your opinion and do what you want in this respect and show up behind Donald Trump and Dana White and not have to worry about it. That's what I think they're going for. And in a twisted way, I think that's what Kanye West was trying to do. I think he was trying to make it so that anybody can say anything they want whenever they want. Now right. he uh he took he took 30 feet <laughs> 30 steps ahead of where I think the natural progression goes, right? I think he he forced it a little bit too fast because of people around him what they told him was the right thing to do. But when Mark Wahlberg sitting there and whatever, he might not even agree with Trump. Um but now he's out about talking about how he's Catholic, just like Rob Schneider is talking about how he's a recent convert to Catholicism. And they're showing up with Trump. And it's like, yeah, so what? You don't have to agree with me. You're going to watch Daddy Daycare 14 or whatever it is. And you're going to watch Jared Leto be Morbius or whatever he is. And that's fine. And you can disagree with him. And that's something that you have to be able to do. And then we all, I think we all struggle with it. Oh, I like that. But why do they have to suck so much in real life? It's easier for other people when they're super talented, like Eminem 
who just had a new song with Juice World, which makes no sense, of course, but um, unbelievable. <laughs> but you can still enjoy that. It's more difficult if they're not super talented. But I think that's where this comes in is the normalization of people who were told, you know, you're an anti-vaxxer, you're a right-wing bigot, you're automatically racist, you hate babies, and all that sort of thing. So I think we should thank Mark Wahlberg for not doing another Planet of the Apes, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and what's funny is, like, on Twitter, the majority of people who argue with me on my sports takes, and they'll, they'll stick to sports. They'll be like, this take doesn't make any sense, and here's why. The majority of those people don't agree with me politically. It's it's a it's yeah. funny how that works. That everyone that is in terms of friction and just going head to head with you on all platforms, they just so happen to just never agree with you. <laughs> we we just make allies of each other, and it's like whoever whoever's got more allies on social media dominates the public square. I want Mark Wahlberg to be able to say the most off the wall thing ever, and still be able to come out with pain and gain two. I know it's not possible <laughs> to come out with, but if he came out with a movie. If Jim Carrey came out with a movie tomorrow, I don't give a rip that he makes paint, he makes drawings about Donald Trump. That's a, <laughs> irrelevant to me. So if he can do that in his spare time, I don't care what he does. He can have those plastered up in his hallways and Beverly Hills behind a gate, talk about whatever he wants about the southern border. Don't care. All I care about is what I can consume from his craft. And if I enjoy his craft, I'm not going to pretend it sucks because I disagree with him mm -hmm, politically. Exactly. I'm just going to embrace it. Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and 2 are actually good movies. Check them out for yourselves. Last word, Gary, making fun of Blue Jays fans for Otani Gate. I'm just, I'm really, well, I mean, it's Canadians. You guys are such nice people. I feel bad. I really do because I thought, I thought Otani was coming to Toronto. I really did. I think you did too. You, I you did. had to think you did. That's the only time where I was just like, the stupid plane thing, I actually care about when the plane's landing. I was checking yep. the internet, and it's like, oh, um, Kikuchi has the has the the sushi restaurant booked yeah. out for him. It's happening. And then he's just at home. And I was like, I never actually get baited in with these things. But for sports, I think it's okay because it has no real-world ramifications. I mean, it might economically, of course. But it's like, you know what I mean? And then, I got, then I'm, I'm laughed at. Why would he just move down the street? Like, I guess that's the easiest play. He just takes $700 million to move down the street. But... And then what's this thing they're doing? Sorry, really quickly, I guess. Yeah. But what's this thing they're doing with his contract? Well, uh, essentially what happened is Otani pretty much told America, I'm so rich that you're going to pay me. The math of it is $700 million contract over 10 years. Well, that contract, the math works out to being $70 million a year. So what Otani decided was that you can pay me $2 million a year on that contract for the next 10 years, obviously you'll pay out 20 million between now and 2034. And then you can start paying that contract 68 million a year until 20, what is it, 2043? So that's the math of it. Otani essentially saved the Dodgers. And what the Dodgers are going to do is they're going to start an account and they're going to put in, say, $10 million, 50, they could put $45 million, $50 million into account. It'll just grow that they mm. won't touch. And then they'll just pay him later. So realistically, all the money and all the surplus of value that Otani is going to create for the Dodgers, they're going to see every ounce of it because $70 million is not going outbound from that organization until 10 years from now. It's a problem for baseball. And, and I'm not going to complain about it because it's fair. Everyone could have done it. It just sucks that the Dodgers were the first team to do it. 
So essentially they're paying him outside of the cap and they're saying once this contract is over, we're agreeing to just pay you this sum of money after your contract is over. But what we're actually paying you in terms of the cap and in terms of the league is $2 million a year. Is that what you're saying? Yes, but then so that is technically true. But in the way that it works against the cap and because, you know, there's there is no hard cap in Major League mm-hmm. Baseball. They can just spend whatever they want. Obviously, the Mets did it last year. But in terms of how it impacts their cap limit, it's equivalent to I believe it's not 70 million the way it should be. It's 45. That's, I think, what the league agreed to. So when you're talking about what it looks like for their budget, if they go over a certain amount, they didn't just technically spend two million dollars on the books. Technically, it says 48. They just don't have to pay that 48 until okay. 10 years from now, until um, Avatar 4 comes out. <laughs> so Shohei Otani just defeated the entire United States financial system. And then he's going to, I don't know, how. I think he's 32 now or maybe. He's 30. Something like that. 30, okay. So when he's 40, he's just going to be like, oh, time to go. I have a bajillion dollars. He's outsmarting us all. He's Japanese. We should have expected. It's a wonderful country. I'd like to go there. You ever been? No. Okay, we're going there next week. Fly to Osaka. Oh, and, uh, so jealous, really. No, I'm just saying you and I were going there next week. No, I'm just kidding. I want to go there. I oh. think I'm going to go there in the next couple in the next couple years. Um, I watch videos of of things there. It looks so clean, so organized. The prices are pretty much the same. The food's cheaper, uh, which just looks like a nice place. And you can probably yeah. hit home runs there because it's only like <laughs> 350 feet. Not me another person yeah not you i don't think i can hit it that far in this day and age i mean i did go to a batting cage a couple weeks ago but you know i'm gonna have to practice for a while i don't don't know i don't know actually how the footage of how many like of how far i can hit yeah i'm a big benny hana fan so i think that (laughs) japan japan's gonna play for me okay all right, uopod.com, Gary Sheffield Jr. on all socials, if I'm correct. Yeah. And um, head to the Patreon, links in the description. Subscribe to Gary on everything. Check out his ever-growing correct opinions on free agency. You will not be disappointed. Uh, that last one with, who was it? The Yankees are never going to get Soto? Soto, Yamamoto. Yeah. All those and, guys. And uh, it was hilarious. His haters are ever entertaining see you guys next week bonus podcast midweek see you guys turn it up jordan